Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, this week our friend Alex, not you, not Alex Bailey, Alex Rodriguez, posted on his Instagram story. His 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 loose support, loose support, I will say, it's not a full-throated endorsement, of Fernando Mateo for New York City mayor. Now, if you're not familiar with the down-ballot candidates of the New York City mayoral race, number one, you haven't been paying attention to tipping pitches because we've been talking about it so much in the last <laughs> few weeks. But number two, I'll just say he's the Republican candidate on the ballot in New York City. And his most recent Instagram post is a screenshot of a Fox News article written about him. Headline, mayoral candidate talks bringing business back to NYC. Quote, first thing we need to do is get public safety back. Your thoughts. Would you like to endorse someone for New York City mayor in the first minute of the podcast or no? You know, Bobby, I don't really like to get into politics here. Oh, Um, yeah, true. I just kind of like to stay away from that sort of thing on this show. You know, I mean, I really respect that Alex Rodriguez is standing up for his city uh, that he doesn't live in. And and this seems like a really, really sound move on his part to back the Republican, a, a Republican candidate for <laughs> New York City, <laughs> which I don't know the last time I had a Republican mayor. Probably Giuliani, right? Giuliani. I don't know. Um, here's a question for you. Most of the time when politicians are like, we need to, quote, bring business back to a city. Number one, what do they mean? Number two, I feel like I'm A-Rod. I'm listing off numbers a lot here. But does New York City need business back? Like, I think of New York City as a place where a lot of business is still happening. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong there? This is not like an Appalachia coal mining town. It's New York City. I, I get what he's saying in the context of the pandemic, but is his mayoral platform, I'm going to end the pandemic? Right, yeah. Like, nowhere really on his on a Mr. Mateo's website is... This is so much free, pu- free publicity. Free publicity. I, I can't believe we're sure. doing this. I can't believe we're doing this either. I just... No mention of COVID anywhere. The, the the first mention of public safety is about getting guns off streets, which, I mean, good for Mateo for taking a stand to defund the police. That's a controversial call, but I respect it. Yeah. His slogan is hashtag let's fix NYC. Like, that tells me a lot about what he's going to do. And def- <laughs> in the slogan picture, it's a picture of him and Alex Rodriguez. So we're not just talking about mayoral politics here. We're talking about our number one beat. Alex Rodriguez. That would be so bad if Alex Rodriguez had a direct line to the New York City mayor. I mean, let's be real. I'm sure if he wanted one right now, he could get one. But can you imagine having like A-Rod's real estate development group, like building skylines on the Hudson River? Yeah. I mean, I guess I can imagine that. That feels like a very real thing that would happen. Do you think that uh, A-Rod and Bill de Blasio have ever had a conversation? Probably in passing, but do you think they've ever had like a phone call where A-Rod was like, let's sync up? Well, I'm sure they chatted when he was trying to buy the Mets, right? Yeah, yeah. I think actually in that case, it was probably Bill de Blasio who called up Alex Rodriguez and and not A-Rod calling de Blasio. You know, I'm sure he actually sees de Blasio's as there being very little that he can do for A-Rod. <laughs> Uh okay well this is a baseball podcast so maybe we should talk about baseball what do you think if you say so buddy not a lot <laughs> happened this week but you know we can we'll we'll squeeze an episode out of this yeah uh we're gonna talk about Fernando Tatis's extension uh we're gonna do some voicemails for open season and of course we're gonna finish by talking about our main man from day one of this podcast Tim Tebow but before we do all of that I am Bobby Wagner I'm Alex Baisley and you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Oh,
before we start talking about Tatis, would you like to get a Orioles 0.0% chance to make the playoffs joke in there? You want to squeeze one of those in? You think that the world needs a couple more of those? What do you What do you think? Yeah, I do. I really, the the shelf life of that was like much larger than I, maybe it's because like we've been tuned in to baseball like over the last few years. And so there was a part of me that was kind of like, and, and here it comes. I was kind of like, well, wasn't that to be expected? Like, weren't we kind of- Got him. Uh, didn't we? Ooh, always just, ooh, oh, burn. Oh. Alex, Alex Baisley destroys Orioles on tipping pitches. You won't believe what this leftist podcast host had to say <laughs> about this Baltimore baseball team. <laughs> this Baltimore baseball team. <laughs> um, no, I don't. No, no joke needs to be said about the 0.0 playoff odds. Uh, however, a bit of business before we start talking about Fernando Tatis is um, another official invitation for Bernie Sanders to come on the podcast and talk about minor league baseball. Bernie, if you're listening, another invite. Yeah, have have to do it to him. And you know what? Okay, here's here's what I will say. I get that he's really busy and having I, a conversation. I get it. Conversation, I, get it. I, get it. I get that. Yeah. You know, right? Chairman I, of I the under- budget committee. I, I understand it. you got some stuff going on. However, if you don't have the time. Bernie, Mr. Sanders, to Senator sit down Sanders. and have a conver- conversation with us. No, we're the New York Times. We we refer to everyone as Mr. Mr. And, and Mrs. Mr. regardless. Sanders. Yeah, Great video uh, of him that I saw on Instagram, by the way, explaining why he's fine with people calling him Bernie, even though like he's their senator. That was a nice video. Go check that out if you're listening. <laughs> it's very sweet. Spawn con for just Bernie vibes. Well, we started the pod by doing SpawnCon for the Republican candidate for New York City mayor. So That's fair. We I'm balancing it out, out here. My point is, Bernie, if you don't fair have time balanced. to hop on a fair if, you have, <laughs> if you don't have time to hop on a podcast with us, you can call 785-422-5881. That is 785-422-5881. Just a great and, call. And you know, drop us a voicemail. Great call. If Bernie Sanders called our voicemail, we would have to wrap the segment because no one else ever calling ever again would reach that level. <laughs> it would be the it would be probably the greatest thing that ever happened to either one of us. Um, all of the all of the people who left voicemails for this this week just got their feelings hurt a little bit. I mean, come on, love and respect to those people, but <laughs> if Bernie called in to do a three minute tight rant about why the minor league should be unionized, it would be a, of a different proportion. Do you think he could do a three minute tight rant? Period. No, no. Again, Bernie, if you're listening, there's a three minute limit, so keep it. That stump speech was pretty long. I loved it, but it was pretty long. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's talk about Tatis. Fourteen year, three hundred and forty million dollar extension. Alex, what what are you going to be doing in fourteen years? There's another uh, very popular Twitter joke that we don't need to fold back into the conversation. Right. Exactly. I'm going to be thirty five. I think, nope, nope. maybe 38. <laughs> Woo, good math. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Tatis gets his mega extension. This was rumored earlier in the offseason, um, and it finally came to four as soon as pitchers and catchers reported. I don't know why that is. I guess the Padres had kind of, the Padres or Tatis or whatever had kind of decided to wait until this point because it just made more sense for them, but whatever. It seemed like this was in the workings for quite a while. And it's a really interesting one. And I want to hear what you have to say about it because $340 million is an unbelievable sum of money to guarantee for your career earnings. No matter who you are, no matter how good you are, Tatis, he's the brightest young star that this game has. He's one of the best players if he's not on track to be the best player in the game. He's obviously a guy that we've talked about in the last year um, in this bubble season as the face of baseball. And he's on the cover of MLB The Show. And he plays with that same verve that we are dying for all the time. And that's, that a lot of players do. Um, but he just does it kind of loudly. And he grabbed the national baseball discourse in a way that a guy like Lindor just hasn't been able to for whatever reason. And that's a lot of money. So good for Tatis. However, immediately it came out. Immediately the, the conversation diverged into a few different paths. Number one. That's a lot of money. Good for Tatis. Whoa, crazy, huge amount of money. Wow, that's like the Sports Center tweet. Then you have like the the people who are in our Twitter circles who are like, damn, that's kind of an, an, an underpay. 
if he continues on this path. And because the way that the contract is structured, it basically buys out his arbitration for about $50 million, which is what he was basically projected to win in arbitration if he continued to have these stats. It's what he would have been able to ask for and then win at the arbitration table. We talked a lot about arbitration last week. If you don't know quite how that works, go check that episode out. But it then tacks on a 10-year, $290 million chunk of a contract onto that after his arbitration years would be over. So, yeah, he has the guaranteed money of the arbitration in case he gets hurt, in case he underperforms a year. He has that guaranteed $50 million, and then he has a guaranteed $290 million after that. But 10 years, $290 million. It's not by any means resetting the market for a player of Tatis's caliber. And then the third element, the third divergence of the conversation is our friend Ken. Kenny Rosenthal. Kenny Rose. K. Rose. Um, he, <laughs> he tweeted... Tatis extension is a triumph, but is the Padres plan sustainable? And then he wrote a column about it. Um, I don't know what he can what what conclusion he came to. And I'm not I, I hate to just bash him completely for this take because I didn't read the article. <laughs> <laughs> and not reading the article is uh, means that I don't I don't have the leg to stand on for completely bashing him for the column or the take in general. But the tweet is it's it's gonna you know what you're doing by tweeting is this sustainable? To, to a team spending a lot of money. So, Alex, I turn it to you. When you saw Tatis, 14 years, $340 million, what, what was your first takeaway? Let's go! That was uh, my first thought. My second thought was, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, my, th- my third thought was, let's go Padres. And then obviously my fourth thought was this is objectively bad for baseball that Fernando Tatis is in a small market team and that owners are <laughs> shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars um, for a player that a majority of the country is never going to watch. How on earth is this actually going to help out the, the the sport when really he should just be traded to the Yankees? Which is, that's all a given. Yeah, of course. My fourth thought, actually, I don't even know what my first three thoughts were, but my fourth thought was, ooh, I don't know. Is the Padres owner going to be able to buy that fifth private island? Mm. You got to, I mean, the fifth private island is really the one. Either your first four are like your starter private islands, and then your fifth private island is the one where you're like, oh, this guy's a private island magnet. You know? This puts a, a cap on what has to be among the more successful off seasons, purely from like a talent standpoint from like a team building standpoint like one of the more successful off seasons a team has had in the last what decade maybe i mean tatis the closest comp to him both in talent and age and the money he's getting is probably alex rodriguez yeah who um as you might know managed to carve a career out for himself and what, Tatis is, st- is still a short, too. What San what? Diego Republican mayoral candidate do you think that <laughs> Tatis is going to be endorsing in 20 years? <laughs> we can't go down that road. We can't ruin this moment for ourselves yet. No, 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 of course. This is, I don't know, when you talk about, like, what, what does it take to actually engage fans in this game and and we and we have a lot of we we've talked a lot about kind of the the difference between baseball and basketball and how it approaches free agency especially um because in basketball free agency it's like day one players get snapped up for huge deals and for baseball free agency it's spring training and we still have a handful of players who haven't been signed yet and a lot of the major deals came in the last few weeks and the Padres kind of single-handedly bucking that trend, I think, has reinvigorated, re-energized a lot of people about baseball in general, about the upcoming season. Like, there have been a lot of people on my timeline who I think are in similar headspaces as you and I, who are saying this game is kind of being fucked over by billionaires right now. And yet, 
the Padres are flying in the face of all that. And I think now it falls to Major League Baseball to say, how can we get as many people watching the Padres as possible, right? Like now you want everyone to see this player who is ostensibly the face of the game, maybe one of two or three choices. Yes. I think MLB is doing a good job of that, actually. I actually have enjoyed the way that Tatis has come in and been embraced by the league at wide on their social channels and, you know, in promo for things like MLB TV. And now obviously he's on the cover of MLB The Show. I think all of that has been handled really well. And I think, I mean, low bar to clear, right? Like you have this really amazing, super talented, super handsome young guy who plays shortstop for one of the most fun baseball teams in the league. If you can't market this guy, you might as well just shut shop and close shop and go home. You know what I mean? So I'll give them their plaudits. But at the same time, it's not like they're revolutionizing how to market a young star here. I think that for the Padres at large, the phrase that you use there, they're flying in the face of all of that. And even to bring it back to something that Ken Rosenthal hits on, uh, that kind of bruise that he's pressing on by writing a column, is this sustainable, is I think that he knows how owners feel. You know, We know that he knows how owners feel because he talks to them all the time. Or he talks to the front offices about how the, the, the GM... He talks to GMs about how their owners are feeling and what they're telling GMs. And we know just from the last two years or three years of stars getting moved that sometimes teams go all in and they change their mind. And it's been a while since we've seen a team go all in the way that the Padres have gone in. You know, they signed Machado for $300 million in free agency. And at the time, I remember you being like, oh, the Padres just butted in and they were like, well, if nobody wants Manny Machado, one of the top 10 players in baseball, we'll just sign him for like what he's worth. Like 10 years, 300 million. That's what he's worth to us. And they had signed Eric Hosmer. um, And, you know, far be it for me to revel in the fact that I can use Eric Hosmer in the argument in favor of myself. But they traded for all these starting pitchers. You know, they, they have a lot of young talent too, but they're, bolstering it by building this team around them the way that you're talking about in this offseason. And then they extended their actual superstar, the guy, the gem of this group, the guy who's going to build a fan base more than any of these other team-building moves have. You know, you can say maybe signing Machado, in, in the long run of this, let's say the Padres win one World Series or they win a couple World Series or they come close. You know, or they challenge the Dodgers for the next five years and it's really fun, even if they don't come away with a title. In the long run of all of this, you might say, actually, the Machado signing was like the one that was like he brought the most value. He was the best player after all of this. That might be true. I don't know yet. But in terms of building a fan base, this extension is messaging to Padres fans we care about you and we see what other teams are doing. And we don't want to do that. We, in fact, we want to do the exact opposite of that. In the same offseason that a Cleveland fan base had to go through watching their star get traded to a bigger market. And there's just no way to not factor that in when you're factoring about what the Potters are doing. It isn't just building a baseball team. It's building a relationship with a fan base, a trust with a fan base that you're going to do right by them and keep the guy that they love the most. And Tatis is just that guy. He just is. For a myriad of reasons that we've talked about a lot in the last year of this podcast. It is really interesting to kind of watch this all play out in contrast to a lot of the, the turmoil around players like Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado who were pretty royally screwed, similarly generational talents, right? Like guys who are a cornerstone on the infield and like in theory, you can build a team around. And yet they were not treated anything close to that by their, by their general managers, by their owners. 
and the, the the way that pod, the the Padres have approached Fernando Tatis Jr. feels like the the exact opposite way to do that. Like you said, you build goodwill with fans. You build goodwill with a player by not fucking around with his service time, calling him up the the second you felt like he was ready, at the encouragement of of other players on the team. By not even waiting until he plays out his arbitration years, by pretty much saying, screw it, we know he is a generational talent. We want you on our team forever. Yeah. And like, that's... You'll never wear another jersey unless we both amicably agree that you should because we're not competing anymore and we want to send you to a team where you might have a chance to win another World Series. That's what this deal is. Period. It's over. He's done. His whole career is here in San Diego. And if you're a fan, man, that's cool. Like, that is, that's pretty cool. And for all of the gripes that I have about the Mets, when the Mets got David Wright and he was their franchise guy, there was never a question in my mind that he would play all of his games for the Mets. And that's how all fans should feel. All fans deserve to feel that way about the best players who come up with their team. And granted, if the player doesn't want to be there, then it's a different conversation to have. Because that's the player's life. They have the right to go play somewhere else. But the teams should not be trading away these guys just to save money, just because they don't want to spend to keep these guys. There's no reason that Machado shouldn't be in an Orioles jersey still. There's just not. And I don't mean to poke fun at the Orioles. And I, I actually really feel bad for their fans that Machado is not on that team anymore because he was their Tatis. And Lindor was Cleveland's Tatis. And Arenado was Colorado's Tatis. You know, here's a guy who I think is a shining example of how much baseball has changed in the last 15 years. Evan Longoria. He comes up with the Rays in 2008. They go to the World Series. He plays out his arbitration years. He plays out his pre-arb years. He plays out his arb years. But he stays with the Rays for the Rays. The team that we joke now trades everybody before even they hit their fourth year, before they're even in ARB. He stays with the Rays all the way through till 2018 when he gets traded to the Giants, where he's no longer as valuable to the Rays anyway. He's not as good of a player anymore. So he's there for almost 10 years. Not 10 full years, but almost 10 seasons. And that seems to me like almost unheard of now. Like Lindor, Lindor, who's a better player than Longoria. Arenado, who's the same position and probably a better player even than Longoria was. He's not even making it to 10 years with that same team. It's just stuff has changed so quickly and we haven't even noticed it. That a team like the Rays would keep someone like Longoria for that much longer and a team like Cleveland or Colorado would just let their stars go for basically nothing in the span of 10 years. Yeah, and I think that this speaks to the the myth of the the small market team which again it's like you play in the the market that you make for yourself right by the Padres investing in their team and putting a better product on the field that's going to garner them better TV deals they're going to sell more jerseys when fans eventually can come back to the ballpark they're going to want to see the team like this is how you 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 build a bigger market around your team right because you i mean you have to spend money to make money i'm no raw stripling but i think i i get how that that element of business works right and it's worth pointing out that every baseball team has the money to to do this sort of thing does every team have the money to shell out $300 million to two players? Maybe, maybe not. I understand that some owners have more zeros at the end of their net worth than others. But like at the end of the day, every baseball team has the money, has the ability to invest in their young players. And when you talk about small market teams – that's usually because there is a history of owners disinvesting from that 
market from that team. The you look at the the, the Giants versus the A's, for example, who play in the same market, same market, but because the the Giants went out and tried and kept around their good players and you know won three World Series as a result. They are a quote-unquote big market team, whereas the A's who are just across the bay who just try and eke their way into the playoffs each year and really just cross their fingers after that, you it diminishes that trust with fans. And as a result, you don't get the attention that you think you deserve. So all that to say, I think this this bodes well for the 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 like medium term outlook for the Padres. And like, is Tatis going to be the player now? Is Tatis going to be the player in 15 years that he is right now? Like, no, probably not. But in the meantime, you literally get baseball's biggest star on your team and set yourself up to compete for a decade. And that feels pretty damn worth the risk to me. Ken, Really good point about the A's and the Giants. Very, very humble of you to make that point. Um, it makes no sense that the Giants would be one of the richest teams in baseball, and the A's would be there are rich teams, there are poor teams, and then there are fifty feet. Then there's fifty feet of shit, and then there's us. To quote, uh, money, did to you quote watch Moneyball <laughs> recently? <laughs> um, it's not like the Padres are the Yankees guys. They're throwing around money. Maybe like they're the Yankees, but it only looks that way because the rest of the teams are not. They're the 17th highest valued team in baseball. 17th. That means they're middle of the pack, which goes to show most teams could do stuff like this if they were willing to invest in the team and invest in the players to continue to put a good product on the field. Rather than invest in condos which i know the padres are also doing we've joked about that on the, on the podcast um before but rather than investing in a you know real estate empire around the stadium like the cubs or a myriad of other teams or rather than just pocketing that money like so the padres owner peter seidler he comes from private equity but he's not like he's not steve cohen he's rich he's a billionaire Many, a few times over. But he's not Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. It's not a case where, like in the NBA, where Steve Ballmer comes in and he's worth $82 billion and he's like, you know what? Whatever it takes, I just want to win. Any amount of money, it's fine with me because I can never lose the amount of money that I have currently. It's not like that, really. They are just a team that identified with an aggressive GM. No other teams want these good players. We'll get these good players. And to Ken Rosenthal's question of whether it's sustainable, they're not giving out $400 million contracts to people who are over 30. They're giving it out to the young stars who actually should be getting these contracts, to our point about arbitration last week, who are actually creating this value now. They're like, oh, we'll pay for it now in the immediate term. We want you now. So so maybe this blows up in the Padres' face and we all get proven wrong and then for... The next five decades after that, we have to deal with every owner citing the Padres as an example of how this stuff doesn't work and you shouldn't spend big on players and you know lock up your own superstars or whatever. But I kind of think this one's going to work out, you know, because no matter what market you play in, people can watch you on TV still. And all of these teams play in big enough markets that enough people could watch them on TV to make it valuable for your franchise to be fun, young and cool. I, it also, the idea of this quote-unquote blowing up in the Padres' face assumes that the this is only worth it if you win a ring or two and Tatis is productive for the entirety of his contract. Whereas in reality, I mean, I think a lot of fans would, a lot of Padres fans probably would like to win a ring, but like you don't think any less of David Wright just because the the Mets didn't win a World Series while he was on the team. Like, he is still a franchise player, right? And, like, 
in a lot of fans' minds. That's an, that's enough. They're still putting that's, Tony Gwynn on t-shirts. Right. So it's okay if they don't win. The way that this blows up is if they reverse course. Like if they change their mind halfway through and they have to trade everyone away because the owner arbitrarily decided they didn't want to do this shit anymore. And sure, we've seen that example. We've seen other teams do that. But don't, I mean, not to get out ahead of an argument that I don't even know if I'm going to need to have yet. <laughs> but if that happens, just know that it's not AJ Preller. It won't be AJ, AJ Preller's fault if the owner just decides they want to get cheap and trade the players away. Here's, here's the real question I have for you. Is Peter Seidler good? <laughs> <laughs> He's the Padres owner. How about this? He is, at the moment, g- good at his job of owning the San Diego Padres. Yes. That's about as, that's about as good as it's going to get as an endorsement of a billionaire from Alex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's good at making me happy occasionally. Um, Okay, we're going to do some voicemails, but we're going to take a quick break first. Hey guys, this is Buddy Adam from Southpaw Sports. And I'm just calling to talk about my owner, White Sox chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf. Now, I could go on about Jerry basically inventing collusion to deal with burgeoning free agency. I could go into how he's defrauded the state of Illinois uh, with stadium deal that encourages him to not sell tickets. Uh, so he can bilk them for even more money. Now, I could do that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a little personal and say that especially fuck Jerry for having me come interview for a position as a developer on the White Sox, telling me that they would reimburse my Uber from O'Hare $50 to the stadium, Still haven't seen that money. Fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> wow. Adam, thank you for calling. Um, <laughs> Jerry, get him his $50. Like, what What else could we say? Yeah, um, uh, uh, lots of unpacking that voicemail. Um, Adam definitely has, has his priorities straight. Um, because if you've been personally burned... By an owner. I know, there's very few of us. There's, right, who have that direct connection. Um, so this is good. It's it's nice to know that he's not only fucking over the entire city of Chicago <laughs> and the, the millionaires he employs, <laughs> but also the lowly proletariat podcasters. <laughs> and the prospective workers. TV show personas. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Well, okay. This reminded me of of. Very rarely do we get a single story that is not like national news that proves how cheap and terrible owners, baseball owners, are. But this reminds me of when Jake and Jordan came on here and told the story about how the Wilpons put Michael Conforto on a commercial <laughs> flight back from the All Star game <laughs> instead of paying to have him fly private with the Yankees or paying for the Mets to have their own private flight. They put him on a commercial flight. Now, granted, again, at the time we said, we're not, we're not pro-private jet, but <laughs> it was a bad look. And in this case, it's a bad look to make someone who's coming um, and applying for a job or interviewing for a job to pay for their own Uber all the way from O'Hare when it's $50. And you're worth billions and billions of dollars and you could easily cover that. Tough scene. Extremely tough scene. Thank you, Adam, for calling in uh, to all our listeners. I, I highly encourage listeners, if they have personal stories of being screwed over by owners like this, or if they've ever met an owner, or they ever had a confrontation with an owner, please call in and let us know about that. 785-422-5881. Yeah. 
everyone go check out Southpaw's Sports on uh, on Means TV. You get more of this personal gripes with billionaire sports owners. All right, what's next up? Okay, sticking on the White Sox here. Another call from a White Sox fan. So, I'm a White Sox fan. Jerry Reinsdorf has been getting a lot of good press, I feel like, lately, which I don't think he deserves because I guess as far as owners go, he is trying. But it's a four-year rebuild. Payroll slashed from like 50 some odd million when it bottomed out. Estimated payroll this year is $8 million less than it was in 2011, which was also the last time we had a serviceable right fielder when Carlos Quinn shattered his wrist during an MVP-like year because he was mad about something. Hired Tony LaRusa, and talking about uh, Bob's above replacement, all the white flex stuff Nightingale gets right is because he gets his information straight from Jerry. And so I'm certain that Reinsdorf is the only guy keeping Nightingale employed. This message was brought because I was really annoyed at White Sox fans being mad about Dakota uh, projections because, like, a rack at 83 wins, that's super possible because their lineup is so incomplete. No backup catcher. We're two injuries away, a regression away, from being worse than the Cleveland professional baseball team. And it is so infuriating. But Ryan Swart did pay all of his staff, all the employees during the pandemic, so that's cool. But he's still very cheap, and I'm also a Bulls fan, and that sucks too. Uh, he's frustrating. Gosh dang it. Go socks. Oh, and listen to the new Never Stater album in a couple weeks. Dang. First thing I want to say is that fans getting upset about their team's preseason projections is a is a time honored tradition. Oh yeah. Uh, and also, of course. It, it makes no sense because they mean absolutely nothing. These are numbers that were run through a computer and to, to spit out one single number. And I think a lot of fans derive a lot of uh, their self-worth from what preseason projections uh, say about their team. Um, which I say they're sometimes right and sometimes wrong. Spoken like a guy a who's fucking weird sport. Spoken like a dude whose team was not predicted to win their division. I just got to say that. I don't know. I think they do I, mean everything. And I think it's the only thing that matters. I think, frankly, that we should just crown the Mets NL East champions. <laughs> it's funny that you wanted to start there because I wanted to start in the last 20 seconds of that voicemail where this caller is, um, <laughs> I would describe it as profoundly exasperated. With the White Sox, where he's just, <sighs> yeah, he's so frustrating. Gosh dang it, go Sox! If that's not the, <laughs> you know, if that's not the 2020 experience, 2021 experience of being a baseball fan, I don't know what it is. Because sometimes we don't have a choice. You know, we can't choose who we love. Sometimes it's passed down to us. You know, you didn't just get get to decide one day to just become a Giants fan because they were winning all these World Series. That's for sure. This would be a very <laughs> different podcast if you had decided that. Uh, and this caller didn't just get to decide to be a Cubs fan because they're from Chicago, you know, stuck with the White Sox. They're stuck with Jerry, who won't reimburse Adam's $50 Uber fare, but will pay his employees during a pandemic. So I don't know what to believe about this guy. Is he a great guy? I don't know. Clearly not. Um, I love the astute observation that Jerry Reinsdorf is the only reason Bob Nightingale is employed. What do you think about that? I was going to say, this is a, this is a great conspiracy theory that... I just absolutely believe. Who owns USA Today? Isn't that Gannett Media? Yeah. Is Jerry Reinsdorf, is Jerry Reinsdorf involved in Gannett Media in any way? I'm on the Gannett Media Wikipedia page and the, the name Reinsdorf does not appear. So maybe he's a shadow investor? I don't know. You tell me, listener. Is Jerry Reinsdorf a shadow investor in Gannett Media? That's the homework that we send you, send you off into the void with this week. Uh, any other thoughts about the White Sox? Because I feel like before we move on from them, I feel like we've been pretty pro-White Sox in the last year or so because they have this young crop of players. They added guys like Dallas Keuchel. You know, they added Yasmani Grandal um, to kind of bolster out the rest of the roster. And, you know, people were praising them. But it's not always quite as black and white. And even if teams do uh, improve their roster one offseason, they can kind of get cheap in other offseasons. And it seems like this is sort of a case of that, right? Where they're not going quite as all in on this window. And window can mean a lot of things because Cleveland has taken a step back. The Twins, though they've been good for the last three years, I don't think that they're locks by any means. So I can empathize with his frustration here. 
Absolutely. And, and they have, I think, missed out on some bigger free agent signing opportunities that they've had over the last couple of years. And yet, they still have an extremely fun baseball team. Extremely fun. Filled with, like, current or former, like, mid to high ceiling prospects who may or may not pan out, but in the meantime are going to be absolutely fun to love. Is this where I fun play the watch. fun to love as well? You know, fun to love. Yeah. I feel love for Yohan Mankata and his music. Uh, absolutely. Disaster personal. Is let's, this, can is, we, um, is this where I play we, a little clip? Can we, can we bump it real quick? Sure. Yeah. Let's. That's good stuff. I was listening to that before you got on the Zoom this morning. Full disclosure. I was just chilling, yeah. just leaning back, bumping it. Yeah, getting in the mood. You know? And that's why this, this episode has been so fun. Uh, okay, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, got a voicemail here about the Dodgers from our friend Kieran. Hi, Bobby and Alex. Kieran here. Uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity to send an invitation to Guggenheim Baseball Management Group to eat my whole ass for totally ruining my baseball joy and signing right-handed harassment monster Trevor Bauer. I am just unbelievably bummed about this, as I'm sure many others are. Uh, any advice, guys? Thanks. Bye. Um, ooh. Well, my first advice would have been to call in and complain about it, and you already did that, so <laughs> now I have to think about something else to say. Um, Alex, you want to you take a stab at this one first while I formulate my thoughts? So I think my second piece of advice after, like you mentioned, calling in and... Uh, Just speaking it out loud, you know, there's power in voicing your concerns. There, there really is, yeah. So my second piece of advice is probably um, see if there are any Mets players on Twitter who could uh, help you dunk on him. Um, because he will respond. He will engage. Yeah. You know he will. Yeah. He can't resist. He really can't resist. He just has to post, you know. He's like Steve Cohen. He has to post. This is especially tough because I don't think any of us have plans to go to baseball games in person in the incredibly near future. So you can't even, like... Boo him. boo, Boo him or, like, bring a sign that says... Guggenheim Baseball Management Group, Eat My Ass, which yes. would be great and would probably make it onto the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast. I think for sure. I'd love to hear what Alex Rodriguez has to say about that sign. <laughs> <laughs> Please do that when, when we're allowed to go back to games. While I recognize that it sucks, obviously, to have Trevor Bauer on your team, and as a Mets fan, I came very close to experiencing it, and I was admittedly very relieved when he didn't sign with the Mets, as I'm sure many Mets fans who are like-minded with us were. Um, And him coming to the team in such public and annoying fashion and him being there, making the most money, and I'm sure that there will be multiple instances where you will have to deal with him as a personality all throughout the year. But one thing that I will say is that no player is infallible on any team and we probably shouldn't hold every single player up to be an icon anyway, and not every player is cut out to be that. And just like throughout the rest of the the country and the rest of the world, there are good people and there are bad people in the game of baseball. And if you can kind of set that aside in your mind while you're rooting for the team, and you're rooting for the team, if you're a Dodgers fan, then you can then you can kind of make those internal judgments about when you want Trevor Bauer to fail and when you want the Dodgers to succeed. I know that's not a perfect answer and it's not going to feel good. But I think if you're actively considering that and actively considering about what it means to have this guy on your team and taking the opportunities to sort of engage in conversations about why you don't like this guy. Like, for example, when we would go to Mets games together, Alex and Jerry's Familia would come in to close the game out and if we were there with people who didn't know about Juris Familia's history or or Jose Reyes's history when we were at games when Jose Reyes was on the Mets still, 
it's an opportunity to have those conversations and I know they're not comfortable and I know it's unfortunate and I know that this the game should not be littered with these guys but still I think there is some value there and it sucks and I empathize with Dodgers fan for it Dodgers fans for it but it's not like he wasn't going to play baseball you know and there are worse people in the game of baseball than Trevor Bauer most likely so as unfortunate as it is and as damaged as the sport is and the environment around it that we put this dude of all dudes on a pedestal like he's some revolutionary concept in the sport, it's not forever. And you can still love the Dodgers just the same because it's not like you voted on this and voted yes for him to come to your team. I thought the, I thought the Dodgers were, were like publicly owned and traded, you know, like... Yeah, actually, the Guggenheim Baseball taken, Management taken Group. public. Yeah, they heard our episode and they were like, that seems like a more equitable version of the sport. We're going to put them up for sale to LA. The last thing that I'll say is that not everyone on the Dodgers likes this dude either. You know, not every player that's going to play with Bauer this year wanted to play with Bauer this year. So you can take some solace in that, right? Like you heard, and this is even sadder, but you heard Zach Britton in his press conference talk about how there's no place for Domingo Herman basically on a baseball team after what he did, or there's no place for that. I forget exactly what Britton said, but he basically said he doesn't like the guy. And the locker room is a complicated place where many players, many of the players that you love on the Dodgers will be like, fuck this guy. I don't like this guy. And so honestly, you can take some solace in that and rooting for the rest of the Dodgers because they're like, I hate this guy too. Even if they're not going to come out and publicly say it. However, if there is any player on the Dodgers who is feeling like that, give us a call at 785-422-5881. We can... Uh, we'll put your voice our, through one of those good, modulators. Yeah, our, good, our, our producer, Bobby, will... Um, heard of that guy. I know that guy. Yeah, I've, I've heard of him too. Yeah, we can, we can guarantee anonymity. So we're, we're here for you. Okay, final voicemail. Hi, Tipping Pitches. Uh I, I'm, I'm a little behind, so I'm uh, sorry if this has already been discussed, but I want to talk right now about the Minnesota Twins. Uh, the current owner, Jim Polad, is actually pretty good as far as owners go. It's more or less a family business. Um, he's done a lot of good stuff for the community, donated to Democrats, um, spent money for the most part. I don't have a ton of complaints about him. However, I do want to talk about his dad, Carl Polad, because Carl Polad is unforgivable for the simple fact that he was willing to sell the Minnesota Twins to MLB so that MLB could get rid of the team. He was willing to sell my team for parts back to the MLB, and the only thing that stopped him was that the Twins couldn't get out of their lease with the Metrodome, the worst stadium other than maybe Tropicana Field and maybe the history of of baseball. And you know what? I'll go to bat for the Metrodome. A lot of good memories, a lot of uh, fun times. If, and if nothing else, it is in the pantheon for blocking my shithead owner from selling the team for parts. So that is all I have to say for that. Thank you for listening. This is not something that we think about often, Alex, and we certainly have never talked about it on the podcast. But in 2001, the MLB owners voted to contract two baseball teams, the Minnesota Twins and the Montreal Expos. Um, It didn't go through, partly because of what this voicemail is talking about and that the Twins couldn't get out of their contract with the Metrodome because they partially owned it along with the Vikings and they couldn't they wouldn't be fulfilling their contract there and they would lose even more money and it wouldn't be beneficial for MLB. But at the time, Bud Selig was basically like, these teams don't have adequate revenues to continue to operate in these markets. To which I say, what a shining example of how little foresight MLB has about sustainably building their brand or about sustainably building the existence of baseball as a major sport in this country. Because this was 2001. And since 2001, I mean, these TV deals... Granted, there were some lean years between 2001 and like the mid aughts and into like sort of the 2010, 11, 12 range where they started signing some of these new TV deals. But since then, I mean, business is booming. We talk about this on the show every week about how owners 
investments have doubled, tripled, sometimes even more to the tune of billions of dollars whenever they choose to sell a team. So I think that this 2001 MOB contraction plan, and you should read about it more if you're interested in it, but I think it's just such a shining example of what tenuous hands we're in with the people who are in charge of our sport at its highest level in this country. Because if these people can't figure out a way to make baseball happen in Minnesota, where the twins are like, that's a rap, that's a pretty rabid fan base, man. Like Minnesota sports fans are no nothing to nothing to fuck with. And if they couldn't make it happen there with a franchise that had won a World Series in the last 10 years at the time, because they won in 91 and in 2001, they were about to be contracted. I just don't know what to say. I, I, I like that. That's such a indi- such an indictment of the type of thinking of the people who own these teams. Because it's not like every club since then has changed ownership hands. A lot of these owners that voted yes to contract the league to 28 teams are still around. And Rob Manfred is no different than Bud Selig in that he does exactly what the owners want and and never really voices any concern about it in favor of the health of the sport. It's just also so telling, like how insular this and like incestuous this community of owners is that really like it's like play money for them in a sense, you know, like there's not a lot of care given to what a franchise might mean to a city, to the fans to the history that has been built there, to the community around the stadium. Um, And while the the Twins deal ultimately fell through, the other half of this, as you mentioned, was the Expos, who, amid all of this, um, owned by Jeffrey Loria, who sold them to the league and then bought the Marlins from John Henry who turned around and bought the Red Sox, right? And it's like, these are still names that we are contending with two decades later. And we're right? never going to get rid of them because billionaires never, never die. Them. They just live forever because they feel right, no exactly. shame. Right, exactly. Or hand down the team to their kids, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah, I think that that is probably the most jarring part of this is kind of reading about it and seeing how little has changed. Yeah. Especially when we were at this point, just a few years removed from a strike, a player's strike. Yeah. And interestingly enough, after that player's strike is when revenue sharing started. So revenue sharing basically went into effect in 1996. And the Twins were still not doing so hot five years later. So granted, they hadn't figured out the model, right? But revenue sharing among the clubs is basically the reason that no club can ever go under now. I mean, we have the A's ownership basically holding the team hostage and threatening to move it. But we don't have teams threatening to sell and move cities anymore because they're not economically viable. We only have it because the owners are extremely selfish and craven individuals who want public funding for their stadiums because it's expensive to build a stadium. There's no expos anymore. Whatever the Rays spend or don't spend or whatever they say about their revenue or don't say about their revenue, no one is like, yeah, the Rays are going to go under next year if they don't get sold. I guess we had it with the Marlins a little bit a few uh, five or six years ago, but that's a whole Jeffrey Loria complication that we don't have time to get into. We, we really need to do a, a whole episode just on Jeffrey Loria. We should do a whole episode on the Marlins this, sale. I mean, that would be interesting yeah. enough. Because Bruce Sherman is a clown, and I don't think that things have really gotten better there since that. But the boss Just is in open, charge. Openly, openly planning future episodes on the podcast. Pulling back the curtains for the listeners. Thank you for calling in about the twins. Um, and this is a great example of something to call in about if you're a fan. A decades-long grudge that you're holding against your former owner who almost screwed you out of not having a baseball team. This is the type of thing that sticks with a person as a fan. This is the reason that we don't trust owners. Yes, precisely. So if any of you are in your feels about any wrongs that your owners have, have, uh, have committed towards you, your fan base, 
past or present. Could have been yesterday. Could have been a decade ago. Doesn't matter to us. Hit that line at 785-422-5881. I'm going to repeat it every 10 minutes until every single one of our listeners has, has dropped us a call. So slide into our voicemail. If you, if you don't like hearing the sound of your own voice, that is cool. I don't either. Hit us at tippingpitchespod at Good gmail.com. Good thing you do a podcast every week. <laughs> Good thing I don't listen to it. <laughs> okay. It's time. We're not going to spend too much time on this because we've already gone longer than we intended to on this thin episode. But, Alex, one final Tim Tebow Power Hour. If you've been listening since the beginning of the show, which means that you're Alex's mom, thank you. You will remember uh, at the beginning of this podcast, we had a satirical segment where we would check in on Tim Tebow's statistics every single week in the minor leagues. And we would talk about anything, any reason that he made news. I remember when he hit his first home run, it was like a celebration for you and I. Um, But he's hanging him up, Alex. Everybody's baseball career ends. Everybody gets told they don't get to play this game anymore at a different time. (laughs) And Tim wasn't even told. He decided on his own. The Mets would have been happy to keep him coming back. Keep milking him for all he's worth. I want to ask you, when you think back on the years, we're now doing this. We've now been doing this podcast for almost four years, three and a half years. This podcast is about to get its college degree, its bachelor's. What are the moments that stick out to you about our friend Tim? Timmy, Timmy T. God, I feel like you need to put like montage music against the back of this. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. As we remember go when we found out. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> we remember. All the times we... Yeah, keep it going. I'm just going to let you do it. Together. Keep going. I'm just going to keep singing. I'll move further away from the mic so it doesn't distract you. Okay, sounds good. You remember the time that we found out that he produced a movie that yes. was like loose, loosely based on his life? Yeah, I do remember that. I also remember the time that you told me that he was hitting 283 in double A and I almost had a stroke <laughs> because 283 in double A is like, Pete Alonso wasn't hitting 283 in double A. That's ridiculous. I don't did Tatis hit 283 in double A? Should should Tebow have a 14-year $340 million contract <laughs> with the Padres? Well, the problem is that he has a, a lifetime contract with our Lord and Savior. Mm. And mm. that comes first. Yes. He got to AAA and things didn't go so hot. He hit uh, 163 in his time in AAA. It's tough, man. In AAA, they can throw curveballs. Here are the three things that I wrote down for my three favorite moments in the history of chronicling the career of Tim Tebow on the baseball diamond. Number one is the time that you told me that his full name was Timothy Richard Tebow. Mm -hmm. And as a nickname, we decided to call him Tim Dick. That is, wow. That was some real college college humor shit. Not jokes that we would make anymore. Uh, Number two. (laughs) We're much more mature. (laughs) Yeah. Number two is... The time that we went to see him in person at a Trenton Thunder game. Do you remember this? I don't. I wasn't there. You didn't go? Wait. No. Really? Yeah. All right. The time that I went to see him then. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were there. I went to see him twice in one season. I thought you came Mm. with me. You just got done saying you memory hold something. So maybe you were there and you just don't recall. That's probably fair. I don't think I've ever seen a Trenton Thunder game, but I could be convinced otherwise. No, I'm going to find a picture of us there and I'm going to tweet it out. Okay. Um, Okay, and the third thing is, I don't know if you remember this one either. I hope that I'm remembering this correctly. Is the time that I think that you actually send an email to his agent Mm -hmm. to invite him on the podcast to promote a book that he had coming out. We legitimately tried to get Tim Tebow on this podcast. Did you ever get a response on that? Like, did you get a formal no? Like, we got a no from Barry Zito. We can just right. we can say that. Like right, like right away. Like within too. 10 minutes of inviting him on. We haven't gotten a no from Bernie yet, so <laughs> the door's still open. Well, and I don't know that we ever got a, got a firm no from so Tim's not, agent. So what you're saying is it's possible. So the door is still open. Yes. If, Tim, and, if Tim's agent I mean, is listening, he's got some he's got some free time now, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. Weirdly, I feel like not playing minor league baseball means he has less free time. 
because he'll be like on TV more. You know, he'll be in the Philippines doing mission work more. He'll be directing more movies. He definitely didn't direct that movie. I think he just produced it. But maybe he's going to get into directing films. That would be quite a a heel turn for him. I mean, maybe he links up with Yuan Mankata and drops a rap song. Maybe. I would listen. Christian rap. I guarantee you no one else finds this segment funny except for us. So let's uh, let's put a nail in this coffin and we'll say, we'll pour one out for Tim. Pour a little bit of coffee out on my steno pad for Tim. Because he did it for lo- certainly longer than we could have ever predicted that he would try to play minor league baseball and make it to the majors. And I do think that he had kind of a legitimate case to get called up in late 2017 or 2018 depending on when the Mets actually had injuries. I don't recall because all of that time has blended together. There was a time when I said to you, Tim Tebow's going to get called up and I will fly to New York for that, that game. Yeah. So that's more than we could have ever predicted. Good for him. That really, like, we dunked on him so much on this podcast. And yet he... Did you just tweet? Are you tweeting right now? Yeah, I did just tweet. <laughs> This guy's tweeting in the middle of my Tim Tebow eulogy. This man stuck around far longer than I ever would have expected him to and Mm -hmm. managed to attain some level of success. There's a yes, was he taking away a spot from a hardworking kid who actually deserved it? Whatever. The kid just should have been better than in that case. Yeah. Kids should have just like won a Heisman Trophy first. Kids should have been a, you. a very famous international icon. That might be overstating it. Kids should have been <laughs> a very famous former professional athlete in a different sport who was going to make the Mets more money if the kid wanted the chance. The thing that I lament most about Tebow um, retiring now is that it's before we've found a way to unionize the minors. He would have been a very powerful voice in our minor league union. Our minor league players union. He could have. He would. Yeah, he would have whipped a lot of clout around. For which side? Ours. <laughs> For sure, do think, dude. Do we think? Do we think that Tim Tebow is pro union? He's a good, hardworking gentleman. He's definitely one of those guys that's like, unions just don't make sense for every workplace. You know, right? Exactly. He's like, construction workers should have a union because they could die on the job. But minor league baseball players, nah, I don't know. Right, exactly. It should be your choice whether or not to to join a union. And why do I have to pay a dues for this? Anyway, we've gone down a rabbit That's, hole. That of was whether, my yeah. That was, <laughs> <laughs> we've gone down a rabbit hole of whether Tim Tebow would support the hypothetical minor league baseball union that we want to start. <laughs> Here's your chance. Your last your last chance to say goodbye to Tim. He's listening, so make it count. Tim, you were the reason that we started doing this podcast and I can't thank you enough. I want to, I want to wish you the best of luck in, in the next chapter uh, on your journey. Yes. As we go. And we remember if you ever want to chat with us all the times we seven, eight, five. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No one is actually invited on the podcast anymore. They just have to call into the voicemail box. (laughs) No, no guests. Easier. It's easier for us. We don't have to schedule a damn thing. Yeah. And ask bad questions for 45 minutes <laughs> while a very eloquent person is on the other line being like, how do I sound smart answering these dumb questions? No questions, just vibes. Uh, okay, that does it for this week's Tipping Pitches, Alex. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone who called in. If you did call in and your voicemail has not been read yet, just know that we still see it in the inbox. We will play it. We just got to keep these shortish, you know. The number is 785-422-5881. And the email, if you don't feel like calling, is tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Or you can DM us, tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Uh, anything anything fun coming up, you know, for the pod or just in the life of Alex? You know, any cool dinners that you're cooking this week? Not really. You got, any, you got any IPAs you're looking forward to cracking open? 
No, Celebrate I got, a, I got a couple, couple, couple sours in the Ooh, in the fridge. You know, yeah. I mean, spring training also did start this week. Yeah, which, pitchers um, and catchers. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> end of the podcast no one's listening anymore so we can talk about the real baseball now that's a good thing we did that was an oversight although it started yeah it started on like monday so it's been so long that it didn't even feel like news also what do we say that everyone who showed up is in the best shape of their life so far that's about all i got i'm willing to wax poetic about jacob Degrom throwing anytime but i I don't i don't think anybody needs to hear me do that if you do want to hear hit our, hit our, hit our Patreon yeah if you do want to hear me do that um, and you are a close personal friend of mine you can just call me I invite you to FaceTime me out of the blue I'll pick up yeah but other than uh, that it's not for if the anyone wants to talk Jacob DeGrom with um, Bobby you can hit his line e- at e- 267 no <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everyone I'm as free as a bird now. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!